0: Welcome to the Grace Life Fellowship Podcast. Today we'll hear again from Pastor Frank as he continues his series, Live Free, A Study of Galatians. If you'd like to hear the series from the beginning, I would suggest going back to episode two where he begins the series. Okay, here's Pastor Frank.
1: Let's open our Bibles to uh, where? Galatians chapter five. If you've been with us, you, I trust, have come to know that freedom is the very heartbeat of the gospel. Hear me on this, my friends. Freedom is not an afterthought. It's not an addendum. It's not a side benefit to the gospel. Freedom is the gospel. Jesus himself said, when you come to know the truth, the truth will make you free, and the Son shall set you free indeed. The Holy Spirit, through Paul, has heralded in this book for all to hear that it was for freedom that Christ died to make us free. Stand in that freedom, and do not be enslaved again with a yoke a bondage. Over the weeks, we've seen that we're free from the penalty of sin means we're free from guilt, free from shame, free from condemnation. I had a person in my office recently and, and they were burdened down with shame and so I just spoke these simple words to them. Shame me be what you feel, but you do not bear it in your life. It was a great step into freedom. We may feel shame, we may feel guilt, we may feel condemnation, But it's not the truth. Jesus took all of that away at the cross. Glory. We're free from the power of sin. Which means we're free from the slavery to sin. Which means, by the way, when we sin now, it's a choice. Ouch. Let's close in prayer right there. We're we're free from performing and achieving. Which means we're free ultimately from people. And we're ultimately free from ourselves. Free to not take ourselves so seriously. And we could go on and on and on with the multi faceted aspect of our freedom. But I want you to think about something today. If you've been with us in this study of Galatians, you know that we have spent four chapters. Our primary focus in this book has been on the fact that we have been set free from the law. An entire book has been devoted to this one aspect of our freedom with so many different facets to freedom, my friends. Think about this. Why would the Holy Spirit spend so much time on this one issue that we have been set free from the law? Have you thought about that? As I thought about it, I came to this conclusion. That perhaps it's because in the realm of humanity, this is going to be our biggest struggle. To believe what God says And break free from the demand of the law. I want you to think about this. The law has been our constant companion in life from the moment we were born. When Adam ate from that tree, according to the language of Romans chapter 7, he married us to the law. Our entire lives have been lived under this system of performing with our resources to manipulate and control our environment in order to merit or achieve success in this life. Our life's agenda has been do what is right or else. Don't do what is wrong or else. It's very much like living before Santa Claus. You better not shout, you better not pout, Santa Claus is coming. And that economy, if you think about it, permeates every aspect of our lives. It's in the school, it's in the workplace, it's in our relationships. And it's especially dominant in any pursuit of God because the economy of the law was, remember, you remember, was tied to the lie that we shall be as God. That's why every religion in the world, my friends, is law based, focused on human achievement, where the focus is is on us and what we are doing and what we are striving to not do. I would put it this way. It's just like a fish. A fish swims in, breathes in, and lives in the water. And so it is with every human being, my friends. We were born in, swim in, breathe in, and live in the law. And so it's such a difficult thing for us to break ties with it. I believe that's why the Holy Spirit has made freedom the very heart of the gospel, because it's not so easy to acquire. Freedom, I would put it this way, is like finding, acquiring a very precious gold coin. And then once you receive it, it's so valuable that you'll fight to protect it and secure it. And like a coin, my friends, I think this issue of freedom has two sides to it. First of all, it is freedom from all those things that we were never supposed to have in our lives. But it is also freedom to what was designed by God to be in our lives. It's freedom which provides us with direct access to God. Freedom to experience God, freedom to express God, which means we're, we're free to not sin. We're free to be kind. We're free to be good. We're free to love. After all, the life that God has placed in us, my friends, is a life of love. I would define freedom, very simply, as the ability to live life the way God originally intended man to live it. In other words, in the new covenant economy, my friends, we've been restored in a very real way back to Eden where there was no tree of the knowledge of good and evil, no tree of right and wrong. Our entire focus is on the person of God as the source of our life. The Holy Spirit desperately wants us to understand this two-sided aspect of our freedom. Free from law, free from sin, free from guilt, free from shame, and free to life, free to love, free to goodness and kindness. So what the Holy Spirit did is he wrote four chapters of Galatians to implore upon us that we are free from the law. And now he's going to spend the final two chapters, chapter five and six, to implore upon us that we are now free to live from God, the life of God. Our great proof text really for this book would be 2 Corinthians chapter three, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Freedom. And where, my friends, is the spirit of the Lord. He's in you. So you can live free. We are going to have a great time today. Let's pray. Father, this is so foreign to us. The entire world of humanity lives in law. And to have this gift from heaven, this otherworldly economy called grace, which is simply faith, which is simply trust in a person. It's hard to lay hold of it, Father. So we thank you that your Holy Spirit wrote this chapter, chapter 5 to help open our eyes to see the glorious reality of what we have in Christ. May we embrace it so fully and completely that we would never pervert it by going back to the law or by living in license. We trust you, Father, as we walk through this to accomplish that in our lives, and we pray so in Jesus' name. Let's say it, Amen. amen. All right, turn to chapter 5. Let's look first of all at our calling. Look at verse 13. For brethren, you have been called to freedom. We were called, as Jesus said, to a life that is abundant. But like one writer said, as the freedom mounts, so does the responsibility. Responsibility. So instantly upon declaring to our hearts and minds that we've been called to freedom, Paul adds, secondly, a caution. Look at verse 13. Only this, do not use your freedom as an occasion for the flesh. Please understand something, my friends. There is nothing wrong with freedom. Spirit-led freedom never fails. There is nothing wrong with grace. The grace of God never fails. The problem is that mankind fails the grace of God. Mankind fails the freedom of God. If I could illustrate it, it's kind of like a king. A king has been granted absolute power. But that absolute power ushers in a choice. What will he do with that power? See, he can take that absolute power and use it for the good of his subjects. He can also take that absolute power, use it for himself, and become a tyrant. In the same way, we have been set free, and now we're confronted with a choice. And Paul warns us that we're not to use our freedom as an opportunity to serve our flesh. Opportunity is a key word. You might want to circle that. It's a military term. It could actually be translated as a base of operations or headquarters. The place from which orders are issued to the troops. One writer translated it as a springboard. And he's saying this. Freedom is not to be used as a springboard to live selfishly and sinfully. And I trust you all know we can do that. We can say things like, well, there's no law for me anymore. I'm under grace. I'm free to do whatever I want. I don't have to do anything that I don't want to do anymore. Have any of you heard that voice? I'm the only one. (laughs) Boy, have I messed this thing up. Have you heard that voice? Have you acted on that voice sometimes? Yeah. I have. I've been seduced into thinking that freedom means I can do whatever I want. And the problem with that is you're free to suffer the consequences of that. I've seen people do this very thing. I've been at this a long time. They catch the message of grace. And then they begin to drift. They begin to wander, they quit serving, they quit giving, they quit attending, and they do so in the name of grace. And they fall into errant behavior, and they blame it on grace. I shared this with you years ago. There was a gentleman in this assembly who was committing adultery. And when I, I, so I went to him and I said, brother, you got to stop doing that. Well, no, I, I'm, I'm not going to Stop. So I grabbed a couple of elders and we went to him, which is what Matthew 18 says to do. and said, brother, you got to stop. Oh, no, no, I'm not going to stop. So at that point, we told him, if you don't repent of this, we're going to have to tell the whole church, which is exactly what Matthew 18 says to do. And I will go to my grave, not forgetting his response. Where's the grace? (laughs) He had perverted it. And I had one of those Balaam's ass moments, you know, where the spirit of God speaks and you just sort of go, whoa, that was good. (laughs) And I simply quickly responded to him and says, the grace is that we're dealing with you before God does. Grace is not the freedom to do whatever you want. It's so much better than that. Grace is the freedom to be what God created you to be. Grace is the freedom to be the unique dwelling place of God. Grace is the freedom to experience God and then to express God to others in love because this is a life of love. And so since this is a danger, Paul gives thirdly a a clarification. He's called us to freedom. He's cautioned us about freedom. And now he clarifies what the issues really are. True freedom is being set free not only from the tyranny of the law, but set free from the tyranny of self so that we can be empowered to love and serve others. So as I meditated on this passage this week, if you look at verse 13, there's that third thought. You were called to freedom. Don't use that freedom to serve your flesh, but by love, serve one another. And so I stepped back this week and I just meditated on this. And I want to do that for you here today. I want to step back from this passage and capture the big picture of what the Holy Spirit is saying here so that we can really understand it, so that we can apply it. And not only that, but so that we can then share it with others so they can understand it and therefore apply it. And we could all walk confidently and powerfully in the glory of the new covenant that God lives in and through us by faith. In Galatians, the Holy Spirit has put before us three different roads upon which to walk. Three separate economies for living. Road number one is the road of law. It is a one-way road. It goes in one direction, and it ends in destruction. The road of law has one main emphasis. And that is that the focus of the road of law is on us. How well we're doing in the pursuit of the law or how poorly we're doing in the sight of the law in our efforts to please God. It's a road intimately connected to the lie of the garden. You remember it came about by eating from the wrong tree where we would know good and evil. On this road of law, life will be all about you and whether you are doing right or doing wrong. And it is a very wide road, my friends. There are masses and masses of people walking down this road, the road of law. On the complete opposite side, we have another road, a second road. It is called the road of license. It, too, is a one-way road. It goes in one direction, heading fast for death and destruction. The focus of the road of license is once again on man, but this time about man pleasing himself. It, too, is a road intimately connected to the lie of the Garden of Eden, the wrong tree. Because in the eating of that tree, remember the temptation was, you will be as God. You will be at the center of your universe. Life will be all about you and your satisfaction. And again, my friends, I hope you know this is a very, very wide road heading towards destruction. Two roads, each leading towards death each diametrically opposed economies. In between those two wide roads, these two different ways of man is a third road. It's called the road of liberty, the road of freedom. It's a two-way road. Oh, it's only headed in one direction. And that is toward a life, and that life is a life of love. But it has two separate emphases. The focus of the liberty road is on God, who he is and what he has done. But because it's all about God, watch this, my friends, it's all about us, because God is all about us. It is a road intimately connected to the cross, the tree of life, the tree that man should have eaten from. That in the glory of the new covenant of grace, man now once again gets the opportunity to eat from. This, my friends, is the ultimate. All things work together for good. Do you realize that? Romans 8 says God will take everything that we do, even if it's bad, and use it to accomplish good in our lives. Do you see this? Man ate from the wrong tree. God's going to use that against him to drive him to the tree that he should have chosen. That's incredible. He's life and he's going to do everything he can to make sure that he gets to share his life with us. He is love, and he's going to do all he can to make sure that we get in on his love. And when we receive that love through the person and work of Jesus Christ, energized in us by the power of the Holy Spirit, we become equipped to love back, to love God, and to love people. This is a very, very narrow road. Not in terms of being restrictive or discriminatory. This is a road that's open to all mankind. Anyone can travel down this road. All it takes is the choice. It is narrow in terms of its being exclusive in its methodology, which is the way of faith. Hear this, please, my friends, on this narrow road that leads to life. Hear this. No works of man are allowed. No works of man are allowed. Only the work of God is accepted. And men lay hold of the work of God by faith. It is through faith that we gain an intimate connection to the Holy Spirit, who is love, who empowers us to love. And verse 14: love fulfills the whole law. And so the road of liberty, the road of freedom, is a very simple law road. There's only one law on it. And that command, fourthly, Next verse, verse 14, is love your neighbor as itself. The road of liberty never serves itself, but others. I want to share with you this illustration. It was so good, I just have to steal it. Someone has pictured legalism and license as two parallel streams that run between earth and heaven. The string of Legalism is clear, sparkling, and pure, but its waters run so deep and so furious that no one can enter it without being drowned or smashed on the rocks of its harsh demands. The stream of license, on the other hand, is relatively quiet and still, and crossing it seems easy and attractive. But its waters are so contaminated with poison and pollutants that to try to cross it also brings certain death. Both streams are uncrossable and deadly. One because of impossible moral and spiritual demand. The other because of moral and spiritual filth. Here's the key. Between those Two streams, both of which lead to death, both of which are the ways of man. There is a bridge, and a bridge is the exalted way, the lifted up way, the way of God, the way of love. And I have to ask you at this point if you saw it. Think about this. Religion looks at the road of license. Look at that wanton lust. Look at that sinful self-satisfaction. We have to stop this or man will destroy himself. And the way to stop this is law. We'll put law on them and restrict them from sinning. The problem, though, is that the road of law is equally devastating. It places all of us under a curse. The curse is to keep the whole law, every piece of it. And we can't do it, so the road of law destroys man as well. The new covenant says this. It's not law on the outside that man needs to deliver him from his sinful and selfish ways. It's love on the inside. Love will empower man and release man to honor and serve God and others. Now, I want you to think with me further about this, because this is a huge chapter. When we come to chapter 5, we have had four chapters directing us away from the law. How many chapters? Four. So let me ask you a question. In the pursuit of God, where are most men going to err? By following the law. Four chapters. Hear it. Hear it. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. Don't go to the law. 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 Why? Because that's where most men are going to go. Four chapters warning against legalism. Watch this. One verse warning against license. That tells us, my friends, that the cry of the legalist is an errant cry. Oh, Frank, if you remove the law, there'll be nothing to restrain sin. No, the truth is that men sin very well under the law. I I guess there are people that could offer testimony today. (laughs) The law never kept me from sinning. And obviously, from what I hear, it didn't keep you either. The misconception of the legalist is that when we remove the law, we're going to leave mankind in a vacuum, and in a vacuum, he's going to stumble all over himself, and that is a lie. That's not the new covenant. We are not simply removing people from the law In the new covenant economy, we are replacing the law with the love from God by the power of the Holy Spirit. Hear me, please. If you are part of this assembly, and if you are catching the message of the new covenant, and if you are going out into the community proclaiming the grace of God apart from the law in any sort of public way as a means to righteousness, It's only going to be a matter of time, my friends, until somebody labels you as an antinomian. And they'll be doing that as a slander against you. Boy, if I had a dollar for every time I've been called an antinomian, I could retire. Antinomian. Let's investigate the word. It's a compound word from anti, meaning against, and namas, the law. So I trust you see what they're saying about you. That when you preach grace, you are against the law. My friends, is that true? It's not true at all. We, the people of grace, love the law. The apostle Paul, the champion of grace in the New Testament, said himself in Romans chapter 7 that the law is holy, perfect, and good. So how could we ever be against it? If it weren't for the law killing us and condemning us and driving us to Jesus, we would not have come to faith. We should all, as believers, thank God for the law. People of grace are very pro law. We just want to see it used correctly, which is to beat the daylights out of unbelievers with it, not to put on the church. As the church, we have something far better. When someone tells you that you are antinomian because you herald grace, you haul off and tell them, my friends, oh, no, I'm not. I love the law. And after you tell them you're not an antinomian, you can tell them that, yes, you are an antinomian. Say, what do you mean? Well, not in the way they're using the term. And then you can teach them And what, my friends, that's really what they need. They need to be taught because they have a lot of misconception. See, antinomian also has another meaning. Anti means against, but can also mean instead of. We are not against the law, but we are certainly instead of it. The great glory of the new covenant is that instead of the law, we got the person of God himself to come and live inside of us, the Holy Spirit. And because we got the Holy Spirit, we got the life of God. And in getting the life of God, we got the love of God filling us to overflowing, being unleashed through our lives because it is love that will keep us from license. It is love that will keep us from sinning. When we get tempted, we say, I love you, God. I don't want to do that. I love you. I don't want to sin against you. What did Jesus say? If you love me, then you'll keep my commandments. It's all about love. But I need you to understand something, gang. It's not going to be easy. The Christian life is not an ethereal float through this world. There is conflict. And guess what? That's our next point. And it starts in verses 16 through 18. You see, just like Isaac and Ishmael could not live in the same house, just like Hagar and Sarah could not live in the same house, so the spirit and the flesh cannot live in the same house. The spirit and the flesh, verse 16, are locked in a perpetual tug of war. The flesh tries to pull us off the road of liberty. The flesh tries to tug us in the direction of self-centeredness. Tries to get us to think that life is all about me and what I'm going to do and what I'm going to get out of this. While the spirit tugs us in the direction of love. What can I do for others? What is the spirit of God calling and empowering me to do for my father? See, the flesh will keep you from doing what the real you wants to do. Verse 18, but, and by the way, this is a really big but, so play attention to the language. Look what he says. If you are led by the Spirit, verse 18, you are not under the flesh. Is that what it says? No, it's not what it says. But I'll tell you what, in the context, that's what it should have said. Look at the context. You have been called to freedom, not to the flesh. Walk in the spirit, you will not fulfill the desire of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit, the spirit lusts against the flesh. Flesh, 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 flesh. And then all of a sudden, if you are led by the spirit, he doesn't say flesh anymore, he says what? Wow, that's a huge declaration made by the Apostle Paul. Do you see what just happened? Paul put the flesh and the law in equal opposition to the spirit. Own this reality that so few believers in the world really understand. If you try to follow the law, you will no more be walking in the spirit than if you were following after the flesh. Romans 8, 4, what the law could not do and that it was weak through the flesh. God did. What did God do? He sent his son as an offering for sin and condemned sin in the flesh. So that, purpose clause, the righteousness of the law would be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Do you see what he just said? We don't follow the law as believers. We set our focus completely on the road of liberty on the Holy Spirit. And when we focus on and live from and gain out of the Spirit, guess what we're gonna be doing? We're gonna be fulfilling the righteousness of the law by not trying to follow the law. Isn't that huge? You see, people are gonna look at us and they say, oh, you're a religious man. Oh, no, I'm not. Well, you follow the Ten Commandments, don't you? Do you steal? Do you kill? Do you commit? Oh, no. Well, then you're following the law. No, I'm not. What you see is the life of God being lived in and through a man by faith. And so in an effort to magnify before eyes, These two diametrically opposed ways of life. The flesh which focuses on the law and the spirit which provides us life. The law which focuses on self to the freedom which focuses on others. Paul offers their distinguishing characteristics. Verses 19 through 21. What are the characteristics of the flesh? Look what he says. He says these are manifest means they're easily observable. means we all know what the flesh looks like, so we don't have to spend a lot of time on this because we're all familiar with it. Adultery, that's sex outside the marriage by married people. Fornication, that's sex between people who are not married. Uncleanness, which means dirty. Sensuality, which means wanton sexual excess. Idolatry, that's anything that takes the place of God in your life. Sorcery, which is the Greek word pharmakeia, for which you get pharmacy, which means drugs. Hatred, that's unloved self-centeredness. Strife, that's the result of hatred. It's conflict, discord, and division. Jealousy, which is resentment caused by selfishness. Wrath, which is uncontrolled anger. Not just anger, but uncontrolled anger. Factions, which is a party spirit. What am I going to get out of division? Murder and drunkenness, which need no explanation. And reveling, which is loud, crude behavior. All of that is flesh. The key is verse 21. Look what he says. Those who practice. These things don't inherit the kingdom. The key word there is practice. We're not talking about falling into sin every once in a while, but sin as a lifestyle. A state of being where there's no internal struggle going on. There is no struggle going on on the inside, Paul says, because there's no light on the inside to conflict with the darkness that you're doing. In other words, he, when people practice this, live this, he says they're, they're really not born again. You see, a genuine believer can fall into those things, but if he tries to practice them, he's gonna be miserable. He's gonna be empty. He can't stay there. He's gonna to come to the realization what I'm doing doesn't bring me life. Contrast that seventh with the characteristics of the Spirit, verses 22 through 24. And I want to point out to you the contrast in words. This is fascinating. He calls the flesh the works of the flesh. Now, if you're doing a contrast, shouldn't he have called it the works of the Spirit? That would make sense. That's grammatically correct. There's a contrast works of the flesh. Works of the Spirit. That's not what he says. He says, Works of the flesh and what? Fruit of the Spirit. That's hugely significant. Why? This is because life in the Spirit is not a work. What did Jesus say? You're tired? You're weary? Are you worn out, trying to do what you can never do? Come to me, baby. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Why? Because it's not a work, it's a life. And that life lives the only life it knows how to live. It's a life that's fruitful. Secondly, I think he does this, deeds or works plus fruit, because of the context. The context is all about love, love for others. And so he calls the spirit life fruit. Why? Because I don't know of a single fruit-producing tree that produces the fruit for itself. Fruit is always for somebody else to enjoy. So let's look at the characteristics of the spirit life. He says we're able to love. What a miracle. You know, to to all your life want to love someone and know that you can't do it because you're so selfish. And then to have this miraculous life of God put inside of you so that you can, at the expense of yourself, really love somebody huge. Joy. That's a Greek word kara. You've heard that before? It's built on grace. (laughs) And this is the joy of the Lord, Nehemiah says. In other words, God finds great joy in giving grace. So why do we want to fight against it and go to the law? Are we stupid? Yes. Yes. I can't argue with that one. Think about this: we have a joyful God. I mean, I was growing up, I was always taught he was angry. I was afraid of him. The Bible says he's joyful. He's peace, he's calm assurance, a state that all is well even in the storms of life. Loving kindness, that's patient endurance. Gentleness, that's love in action. In other words, we just don't say it, we do it. Goodness, which is kindness. Faith, which is trustworthy and dependable. Meekness, which is strength under control. There's no such thing as a wimpy Christian gang. It's that our strength is under control. And self-control, which means we're reliable. We're not impulsive or reactive. I gotta go on a rabbit trail here but this is a fat rabbit. I believe it is so sad that in our modern world, the emphasis of the church in its majority is on the gifts of the Spirit. Why? Because it's a preoccupation with the power of the Spirit. And when you have a preoccupation with the power of the Spirit, the focus is ultimately going to be on you and all that you're powered to do. Go look on Amazon sometimes, see how many books are written on the gifts of the Spirit. When the real miracle, the real miracle, is the fruit of the life of God inside of man. The real miracle is that we can love and be full of joy and full of peace and kindness and mercy and compassion and a strength and a faith and self-control, that's the miracle. If we would focus more on the, the fruit of the spirit, the world would look in awe at us. Because you know what the world is really looking for? They're not looking for power, they're looking to be loved. We've got this thing short-circuited in our modern church. Look at verse 23. Everybody agrees there's no law against these things, there's no law against love or kindness or gentleness. And verse 24, the fruit of the Spirit in and through us affirms that at the cross the flesh lost its power and influence, and we don't have to follow it anymore. And so we come to the conclusion, verse 25. If we live in the Spirit, and this is a first class condition, it means, and we do. If we live in the Spirit, and we do, then let us walk in the Spirit. To do anything other than walk in the Spirit would be insanity. It would be like giving a million dollars and continuing to live in a shack. You would want to grab that person and say, are you nuts? (laughs) Write a few checks, baby. (laughs) Change the way you live. You have the resources now. We're going to stop there because verse 26 is really part of 6-1, but we're not done. When you look at a passage like this, we are appropriated. And I want to show you something really, really cool on the part of God. In fact, let me just share with you, if you've been sleeping this whole time, you just woke up, that's okay, you came for the good part. <laughs> Look at verse 16. If you walk by the Spirit, you will not carry out the flesh. Contrast it with verse 25. Let's go walk in the Spirit. Say, Frank, I don't see it. You're going to. The Holy Spirit chose two different words for walk. They're both translated walk, but it's two very different walks. In verse 16, you might want to circle it and write in the margin of your Bible, peripateo. I put it up on the screen for you. Peripateo is a compound word, peri, meaning around, pateo to Walk. And so we should translate it to walk around, or I would prefer to walk habitually in one general facility. To walk habitually in one sphere. So do you see what the Holy Spirit is saying? When you stay in the sphere of the Spirit and walk in Him, you will not sin. Exactly what 1 John says. The one who abides in Him will not sin. What's the problem? <laughs> we don't stay in this figure. <laughs> Anyone else beside me? Okay, good. So you're with me. That's why in verse 25, we have stoicheo, different word for walk. It was used of a soldier. It means to proceed in a row. I would prefer to translate it step By step. And the idea behind step by step is basic or elementary. One scholar likened this to learning to walk. Run with me on this. What kind of humanity is it that's learning to walk? Little kids toddlers. I had four of them. I miss those days. When they were learning to walk, when they were toddling, going step by step, they did great as long as they kept their eyes focused on me. Come on, baby. Come on. And Janet would make a noise in the kitchen or the dog would bark and what would the little toddler do? Bam! And down they'd go. When that happened, did I get upset? Did I run over to my little kid and slap him at the side of the head and say, stupid kid, you can do better than that. That's not what I did, gang. I went ballistic. You did three steps. That is so cool. And then I would pick them up and I would wipe the tears off their eyes and I would say, come on, baby, try again. Do you see it? Am I suggest to you this is the heart of your father towards you who are learning to walk by faith? Walk in the spirit, parapeteo. Orderly, staying in one place, the Spirit of God, you will not do the flesh. And what's the reality? We live in a world where there's the lust of the flesh, the lust of of the eyes and the pride of life, and we get our eyes off of God. And when we do that, we're like a toddler and we're going to stumble and fall. And God does not get surprised by our stumbling, my friends. See, the walk in the Spirit is a brand new walk for us. Since birth, we've been saturated with the walk of the law, the walk of the flesh. And to learn to walk in the Spirit is to toddle. And we are going to fall. And I need you to know that he is going to be excited at your progress, not surprised by your failure. And know that when you fall, he is going to run to you, not to slap you up the side of the head and say, do better next time. But to encourage you at how far you were able to go in between falls. And he's gonna pick you back up and make you stand. And he's gonna call you to continue in learning how to walk in the Spirit. One of my favorite verses in all the Bible is Proverbs 24 16. It does not say the righteous man never falls. It says the righteous man falls seven times. By the way, if I'm into biblical numerology, seven is the number of perfection. That could be saying when you walk, the righteous man is a perfect failure. Go preach that in church. But why is he righteous? The rest of the proverb, because he keeps getting up again. I took my eyes off the Spirit. And just like a little toddler, I fell on my backside. But I'm going to learn from that. I'm going to allow the Holy Father, my Father, to pick me up again. Say, keep on toddling, son. And he's going to encourage us all along the way to do so. You know, Jesse leads us in a song. You're a good, good father. Maybe the next time we'll sing that, we'll sing it with a brand new passion.
0: That does it for today's episode. We'll be back again next Tuesday as we continue Pastor Frank's series on Galatians. But don't forget, again this Friday, we'll be sharing our next edition of Conversations in Grace with Jesse and Pastor Tim. We hope you're enjoying the podcast so far. If you are, please consider leaving us a review or a rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you Friday.